The uh, third lesson in the evangelism course is motivation, the motivation for evangelism. Last time was uh, the message of evangelism, right? Covered the gospel. What do we tell people when we go out to evangelize? What's the main thing we want to communicate to them? And then the first one was the necessity of personal holiness um, in order to be used by God. So let's, uh, let's pray and we'll get started. Lord, we uh, come to you in prayer today because we need you. Father, we are truly dependent. I am a dependent, needy individual, Lord, and to teach your word in any capacity uh, requires you to own the message and to use it, Lord, and to make it impactful for us and even for my own soul. And I pray that you do that today, Lord. I pray that you would teach us how to rightly apply your word. Lord, teach us the proper motivation that we ought to have when we evangelize. And Lord, I pray that you would motivate us, that you'd give us true biblical zeal, Lord, and a fervency to view the world rightly, to view the world how you view it, to view your glory in the way in which you view it, and that we would treasure and value these things like you do, O God. And we need you for that. We need you today. We need you for this class. We need you for the rest of service, that our minds would be free from distraction, that we would be focused and ready to pay attention, that we'd be desirous to know you, O God. So I pray that you'd help us today in worship, to sing, to pray, that you'd be with Mark as he teaches as well. Lord, give him clarity and give him boldness and help us to do well to listen to the message. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Now, motivation for evangelism. Right? Motivations are absolutely critical to our <laughs> souls and to our Christian life. They really do reveal the true condition of our soul. You know what I'm saying? Why we do what we do really reveals what we think about God and what we know about God. Certainly what we know about him and how we feel about him. I mean, does what is what do how do I say this? Is what we know about God true and how we feel about God and how we think about God and then is that expressed in how we actually live? Right? And so it really reveals the motivations behind what we do reveals to us at the deepest level what we really think about God, right? Because there, there's a lot of doing that goes on in the world. There's a lot of evangelistic effort that goes on in the world, truly. But there, the motivations for a lot of it is unfortunately misplaced a lot of times. And I really feel like it just comes from a lack of knowledge of who God is and a lack of knowing His Word and what He commands. So we want to be able to have proper evangelism, a proper motivation for evangelism. And if we remember Philippians 1.15, where Paul talks about those that preach Christ, and yet they do it from envy and selfish ambition. Remember there? So there's even a true preaching of the biblical gospel that happens 
that can happen from a person, and yet it comes from an evil place. And I mean, not, not to go off in too much of a rabbit trail, but we really don't need to look farther than YouTube for a lot of this. I mean, there's a lot of people on YouTube who, who love to record themselves going out and standing on a street corner and preaching, and yet they do it for selfish ambition. I mean, it's almost like they just want to flaunt, look at how, look at how I was treated, or I ran across a demon today, or, and it's like, they'll do anything to get famous on YouTube, almost. And so we have to be really guarded in our own souls against um, selfish motivation and selfish ambition, and for us to receive glory instead of what we should be evangelizing for and where our motivations ought to be is where God's are and it's for His glory. Okay? Not for our glory. Never. We never want to go out to evangelize in order to feel like, uh, you know, I'm somehow a better Christian because I'm doing this. That just, it's coming from the wrong place, right? And that kind of motivation anyways has absolutely no power over sin and temptation in your life. I mean, it may for a short while make you feel like, yeah, you know, I'm on fire to be this good Christian today. But it, it just can't last. It's not, it's not rooted and grounded enough in Christ. And so, who can give me... Well, I've kind of touched on this. But why should we evangelize? Anyone? What, what's, what's the motivation to evangelize? We're called to do it. Our love for Christ and Our love, for love for Christ and love for people. Yeah, those are basically the exact two that I have, really. We're called to do it, right? So God commands us to evangelize. That's a good reason to evangelize. How you doing, Cole? Good. Good. We're called to evangelize, okay? And, and I guess if we think about the ultimate reason that I gave is for God's glory, right? God commands us to evangelize because it glorifies Him, right? So He never commands us to do anything that doesn't glorify Him. The, his commands are so linked to His character and who He is that He doesn't tell us to do something that would be against His own character, Right? Like you think about lying. It's a command not to lie. Why? Because God is not a liar. And it glorifies God when we tell the truth. Not when we lie. And it's the same thing with evangelism. It glorifies God when His name is proclaimed and is made holy in this world. You think about the Lord's Prayer. right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. His name is to be made holy in this world. And a primary way that that's done is through a proclamation of His name through Christ. Right? Can anybody give me a, an example or a biblical text for where we're commanded to evangelize or share the gospel or proclaim Christ? What's, what's that? The Great Commission. The Great Commission. Yep. Sorry? Yeah, the Great Commission, right? So we are commanded in the Great Commission. In Matthew, he says what? Go out, go, therefore, and make disciples, right? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And we're to go out to the end of the age. Some people think, hey, oh, that's a command only for the apostles, which I don't doubt that any of us would not think that. We, 
we know that this is a command even for us, right? In Mark's gospel, or yeah, in Mark's gospel in 16 in the Great Commission, it's recorded as Jesus telling him to go proclaim the gospel to all nations. Right? Go proclaim the gospel. Proclaim the good news about Jesus to all the nations. And Luke kind of records what Jesus says, but it's not the formal Great Commission, but it's something else. But he says to go and or to go and preach that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name. Right? So that is Christ's parting commission to us is to go out and proclaim repentance in his name. It's a command. And it glorifies him. Right? We live in a world that hates Christ and needs to know about forgiveness of their sins in Christ. Now one that I really like that's often overlooked but lead us lead us into another portion is 1 Peter 1 Peter 2 uh, chapter 2 verse 9 where he says, you know, you are a, a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that that what? Can anybody tell me the rest of that verse? Proclaim Where's Jay? Yes, that we proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So that is a primary reason why we're even saved and made a people of God. So that we might proclaim His excellencies, right? Okay, so now we're getting into the motive, the real motivation behind things. Being commanded is great, but we all know, we all know that there is a huge, massive difference between doing something because you're commanded to do it, right? And doing something out of a willing and desirous heart in order to... To show love and express love for someone or for something, right? So now, I, I use this example a lot, but like, you know, if my wife tells me, oh, you know, honey, I like getting cards and flowers kind of thing. And I, I show up with a card one day and I'm like, oh, honey, I got you this card, you know, here you go. It's just like a basic card. I wrote nothing in it other than love your husband. And it's like... You know, I know you like cards, so I got this for you. It's like, what is that? That's not, it doesn't honor her. It doesn't show her honor. It doesn't show her that I really care about her. But if I, knowing this about her, I desire of my own accord to say, man, I love my wife. And she, she supports me and helps me so much. Like, how could I possibly return her a favor? And so I go out, I get her flowers, card, and I make it special. And I write a sweet note in there. And she reads it and she's like, you know, thrilled by it, right? And, and so one comes from this place of, I know I should do this, so I'm just going to do it. And the other comes from an experience, an experiential reality that I have tasted the love of God. And he has forgiven me of my sins. I read the Bible and I know something about the gospel and how glorious Christ is and the sacrifice that he's made for me. And it does something to me. It, it wells up love in me for God. And out of that overflow of love for God that I have, in order to express my love for him, 
I want others to partake in the same thing, right? And I borrow, I don't remember the exact quote, but there's a quote from C.S. Lewis where he, he basically expresses this same reality that the ultimate expression of love is when we are proclaiming to others to call them to partake in that. Right? When we really like a movie, we go out and we tell people, oh man, have you seen this movie? Like, we should watch it. It's really good. And, and you're expressing to people how good it is. Or you read a book and you want to share something that you learned about it with somebody because it had a great impact on you. And it's the same way. When we, when we partake of God and of Christ, it should well up inside of us this reality that says, man, I want to go and tell others especially the ones I'm closest to, my loved ones, I want them to partake in this reality of, of salvation, right? Now, we know that that should be the reality in us, but there are obstacles to this. It's not like we just wake up one day and we've got such a zeal and motivation for the Lord. Um, what, what are some obstacles that might hinder us for evangelism? And sharing the gospel with people. Fear. Fear. What kind of fear? That you're gonna be either ridiculed or that you can judge. Yeah, yeah. You fear man. You fear what he can do to you. He can harm you. He can hurt you. He can speak evil of you. Yes, Ruth. Knowledge, like you don't feel like you have. Yeah, you don't know. You don't feel like you know. Lack of knowledge. What do I tell people? I mean. I might be asked a question, and I don't know the answer to it, and so it makes you nervous to share cards. Anything else? Lack of priority. Lack of Are you guys reading my notes? <laughs> I had all three of those. Yeah, exactly. A lack of priority, a, a lack of desire because you're distracted. You don't realize how important and urgent the message of the gospel really is. Okay, now I actually have those three, so we'll stop right there. What is the one? What is the one cure for all of this? Who can tell me? How do you combat these uh, obstacles? Prayer, prayer, God's word, God's word. Oh well, yeah, <laughs> reading my notes again. This is good. So. Okay, so listen, here's, here's what it is. We have to know the Bible, and not only know the Bible, which is God's word, we have to believe the Bible, right? A lot of times, knowledge, it, it can come in, but the believing it is a whole nother step. It's a whole different thing to know than to believe, right? And both of those really are important. And so, how do we grow in our knowledge of the Bible other than, what, to read it, right? We've got to be devouring the Word of God. I mean, it, it, it says it's our food. Christ said, man does not live by bread alone, but by, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God, right? And then we have to believe what we read. And the only way that this can actually work is through prayer, right, like Julie mentioned, through meditation upon these things, 
we have to deeply consider the reality of what the text says. And sometimes we become so familiar with things, especially in regards to the gospel. Because, I mean, I praise God for it, but, you know, we talk about the gospel in church every, every time we gather. And, I, and that's a wonderful thing. But if we don't take time to deeply contemplate these things, there's going to be no motivation or zeal to tell other people about it if it becomes dull to us. Right? And so, I mean, think with me. Fear of man, like Alex had mentioned. Well, well first, let me just say, James 4.8 says, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Right? If there's a lack of zeal, a lack of motivation, a misplaced desire, a fear, God gives us a promise, brother. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You just go to the Lord in prayer, in his word, and you ask him, Lord, I feel cold in my heart today. Or this past month, or this past year, or Lord, I've never really had a strong desire to share the gospel with people. I need you. Please, would you, would you draw near? I'm coming to you. Teach me. Show me. Open the word to me. Let me behold wonderful things out of your law that I might, that I might see for myself and be so moved to share the gospel with this person. Right? And what does Proverbs say? If you raise your voice for understanding, if you call out for insight, if you seek it like silver and search for it like treasure, what then you will understand the knowledge of the Lord. So God really works through his word in order to help us to grow and to have zeal and to actually make these things real to us. That they're not just words on a page anymore. And, and all of us, none of us know as we ought to know, brethren. None of us do. But the reality is, some people do see more of Christ than other people. Some people are way more gripped by the reality of certain passages than others. But that same Holy Spirit that George Whitfield was gripped by is available to you and I. Is available if we will draw near to God. It's not some super secret hidden thing. Right? If we in an earnest heart humble ourselves, come to God, He will give us understanding. It's a promise. So think about this then. If we fear man, what do we do? What do we just try to like psych ourselves up and No. You go to His Word, you find a promise. Okay? And you think. Now, you come to the Lord. Lord, I don't I feel cold in my heart towards people. I'm afraid of what they might do to me. I mean, if I go out and evangelize, and this is a reality when you go out there, men can indeed hurt you. They could kill you for in evangelism. I'm sure there are accounts in the United States where people have been murdered for trying to share the gospel. I don't know of them. Maybe, <laughs> brother, you do. I'm sure it happens, but it definitely happens overseas on a regular basis. You go to other countries and simply naming the name of Christ is a death sentence. And it's coming here. And it is coming here. Absolutely. And so, 
So what do we do? We go to God's word. Think of Isaiah 2, 22. Stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath. For of what account is he? I mean, he's a man is a creature just like you and I, made by God. And, and more than that, created for God's glory. Created so that they would actually want to enjoy God. And that's the purpose for which he was created just like you and I. The unbeliever needs Christ just as much as anybody. And then you think in just a little bit later in Isaiah 51.12, the Lord says, I, I am he who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies, of the son of man who is made like grass? I want you to, to think about those texts. To meditate upon those things and realize, who is man? I mean, what is the worst he could do to me? Then you could say with Hebrews 13, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? If the Lord is for you, when you go out to evangelize, and he's promised to be with you, to be with us always to the end of the age, what can man do to us that has not been sovereignly appointed by God? And if he should kill you, what's the Lord say? Don't fear man who can kill the body and then can do no more. But who do you fear? The one who has authority to kill the body and then after that can throw you into hell. That's who we should fear. And so we see, we see how we come to the Word. And I'm trying to do this almost as a thought exercise for us. To really meditate upon these texts that help us to combat these feelings that give us a lack of motivation or a misplaced motivation, right? So we want no glory for ourselves. Everything is for God's glory. We do not want to be afraid of man. Right? Because of what account is man? We're all just men. And we ought to be fearing God. And we want to teach people to fear God. And we want to proclaim to them that they need to fear God. Right? And if we have a lack of desire, I mean, you just think, okay, if I'm ashamed of what does that text say? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. I mean, you think about it. We're ashamed of a good and holy God in the midst of a wicked, twisted, perverse generation. The Lord says, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in glory. So we have to really, we got to think about that right? and apply it to our hearts. Right? We do not want to stay and remain in a state of fearing man. It's not okay to stay there. It's not. And the Lord does not want us to stay there. He wants us to be able to come out of that, trusting Him by faith. And then we think about Paul's motivation. In 2 Corinthians 5, he says, For the love of Christ constrains me. The love of Christ. And that is... Christ's love for Paul constrained him that he would go out and proclaim to people as he goes on the ministry of reconciliation. 
God gave to all of us a ministry of reconciliation that we should proclaim to mankind the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. That by faith in Christ, your sins can be forgiven. So God is reconciling the world to himself through Christ. That is our ministry when we go out and evangelize. And that's what we take to people, right? And you think about another thing, hell. How is hell described in in the scriptures? Someone give an example? Maybe? Gnashing of teeth. Weeping, bottomless bottomless pits. Isolation. Yeah. Worm doesn't die. Salted with fire. Okay. Now, listen. What's the problem? Do we not know that that's what hell is like? No. All of us know hell is like that. But the reality is, we are not gripped by the reality of what hell will be like for our loved ones. At times, it's stronger than it is. At, you know, certain periods, it feels like, man, it's, it's real to me. And then what happens? Maybe just, you know, distractions creep in and get us thinking about other things and we forget. And it just becomes uh, cold to us. And we know that there's a hell, but it's just not real. And, and what I want to communicate is it's, we've got to be constantly feeding on the word and things in regards to evangelism, like what hell is going to be like, to give us this love for people that would say, I wouldn't want my worst enemy to end up there. Right? We're to pray for our enemies and for those that persecute us. And, and more than our enemies, I mean, our loved ones, right? People we just randomly meet on the street. We ought to have such a sense of compassion for them of, and love for them. And it's kind of like I touched on in that first message. We got to be conformed and renewed in our thinking with regards to the real spiritual state of the world, of the lost world. What is happening to these people? They love their sin and they're perishing for it. And it ends with an eternal fire of judgment, separation from the presence of God and the glory of his might. Now, we know God is the one doing the punishing in hell, right? But they're cut off from every good thing, every mercy of God. And we wouldn't want that for anyone. Even God doesn't want that for anyone and communicates to us his heart in this Listen to Ezekiel 33.11. As he tells Ezekiel to, to go out to the nation of Israel, say to them, As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? I mean, listen, the Lord is... Do you, I mean, do you think about this? The whole Bible is God sending prophet after prophet. So you have the fall of man, and the rest of the Bible is God calling unto men to turn back to God. Turn back. And the the way that he's made through Christ. Believe me. It's prophet after prophet after prophet sent to Israel in the Old Testament, and they being rejected, killed, 
ridiculed. And so rejection is sure to come when we preach the gospel. We don't don't think like you're going to be received with open arms. If Christ himself was murdered, how much more the servants of his of his household? We will be hated by the world. God gives us that promise. Jesus told us. The world will hate you. And the world hated him. You remember why he said the world hated him? Because he testified of it, that its works were evil. Remember John 7, speaking to his brothers? If Jesus Christ testifies to the world that their works are evil, what ought, what ought, to we, what ought we be doing? Right? We've got to go out and proclaim to people an offensive message. And yet, God's think about how God's heart for them is, don't perish. Why are you going to perish? You're just going to go to hell, clinging the sin to your chest? We don't want that for people. And if we're going to be motivated, we've got to be gripped by that reality that there really is forgiveness for anybody in Christ. The way's been made open for anybody. Anybody anywhere can receive forgiveness if they will come to Christ on his terms. And they're very easy terms, brethren, to repent and believe in Christ. Now we know that man is dead with no ability to do it and and God must awaken them. But it's through the proclamation of the gospel that God has chosen to awaken people. Think of Paul when he speaks about his ministry to the Israelites in, in Romans 10 when he tells them, Brother, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. I mean... You know what Paul endured for the sake of the gospel. Shipwreck, beaten with rods three times, the 40 lashes minus one, I don't know, four times. In danger, constantly, in weakness, in sickness, in hunger, naked, cold. And what? He endured it all for the sake of God's elect. Because he knew, brethren, people are perishing. There's a real hell, a real hell that people are going to. People he knew, people he loves, people he cared about, his own fellow kinsmen according to the flesh. And he didn't want that for them. And God doesn't want it for them. God sent his own son into the world to suffer and die in their place that they might receive forgiveness. And I just want to... I say all this to to encourage us, brethren, to have this kind of mindset, to stir us up, to to get over that fear that we have of man, to get over our lack of knowledge, because it's worth it to study the Bible. It's worth it to memorize scriptures so that you can go out and save a soul. So you can be serious about soul winning, right? What Paul was enduring anything, He would make himself as one who was weak, as a Jew, as a Gentile. All for the sake that some may be saved in any way that he could do it. And we ought to be primarily focused on this kind of thing in our life. All of us do not need to go out street preaching. That's not what I'm talking about. But when we encounter people, when we're at work, when you're with your families... When you're with people who do not know the Lord, 
the primary thing you ought to be thinking about is how can I get Christ to this person? How can I preach to them a message of repentance for the forgiveness of their sins? And I'm not talking about a sermon preach where you, you know, you just, excuse me, come down on them for 10 minutes. But you reason with them. Like we talked last time about how you share the gospel with people. You re, you, you're pleading with them. Friend, don't you realize what's going on? You're, a, you're loving, you're a slave to your sin. Wake up. There's a God who loves you and has sent his own son to die in your place. And you've got to turn from your sin and put your trust and your faith in him. And he'll save you. You'll have forgiveness of sins and can dwell with God for eternity. That's what we ought to be about. That's what ought to mark us as Christians. And that every circumstance we are about proclaiming the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into light. We're so thankful for it. And we want others to partake in it. Right? It, and it's easy to become apathetic with all the distractions that we have, but we must fight against these things. It's easy to look at a face and just another person, especially if you go out street evangelizing, but then we know anybody who does that can just see people as, all right, another person I need to hand the track to. Here you go, here you go. And just lose that, wait a second, this is somebody's brother, sister, mother, father, daughter, son. They're going to perish. They're on their way to hell. How I ought to talk to this one, this person and plead with them. Please. And you ever think, brethren, why is there a today even? Why does today exist? And what God tells us in Hebrews and 2 Corinthians 6, there is a today so that more people might be saved. Today is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And we are called to be a people who take God's voice out to people and say, hey, there's a Savior. Wake up for a second. Today, if you hear it, don't turn away. Don't harden your heart against them. It's, now's the acceptable time to turn from your sins and be saved. That's why there's today. That's why we have another day. Remember, God's patience or... or uh, what is that verse? Who's that? God's kindness. Uh, oh man, I have it somewhere. Okay, the Lord is not slow. Second Peter three nine. Listen, the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The reason the world has continued to go on, and God has not just judged it where it stands is because he wants more people to be saved. And if God's heart is such towards the lost world, our heart ought to be the same. And if this glorifies God, remember, God saves people and wants people to be saved because it glorifies him. More Voices lift up their praise and thanksgiving to God. And so God receives glory. And likewise, we ought to be about the same thing. 
that we take the word of God to people in hopes that more people would be saved, that they would turn from their sins. Because we all know the day is coming when it will be too late. It will be too late. And I know the first first thing in heaven we're going to be thinking is not, you know, um, it's going to be glorious, right? But the reality is that when we come to the end of our lives, many of us will be thinking, man, I should have done more for Christ. I, I should have shared the gospel with this person. I should have shared the gospel with that person. I should have been more loving and kind and patient. And, and we just righteous. We, we don't want to, you don't want those kinds of regrets. None of us do. Now we're not, we're not going to be perfect. We're not going to be able to do it, you know, perfectly. But I just want to encourage us, brother, for the right motivation, for God's glory, when we proclaim Christ to a person, they're, they're perishing. They're going to go to hell no matter how respectable they are and, and how much money they have and how powerful they are and their status in this world. They will end up in hell like every other lost person. There's no distinction with God. He's not partial. Um, I should, well, does anybody have a question or a thought about, about anything? Yeah. Oh, all right. oh, go ahead, go ahead. Okay. Say so when it comes to fear, the second Corinthians five passage is a great passage. It rolls right into second Corinthians six. It's a bad place for chapter break, but, uh, in verse one, it says, and working together with him, we also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. So mm-hmm. when we're out in our ministry of reconciliation, Christ is literally there with us, working with us as we go out and share the gospel. Amen. That should remove all fear. Amen. Yeah. And if you don't have that love to go out, even fighting that fear, you may have to question truly is he in yeah. examining yourself. Exactly. That's true. You don't even have a love for people that thinks that way. Have you really experienced the love yourself? Right? Yeah, brother Alex. Yeah. Just made me think about all these um, athletes that they misuse the verse that says, "I can do all things through Christ." <coughs> so this time is the real thing, not what those guys think that God is going to help them. Yeah, to win a football game. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Keith. Yeah, brother. I'm, I'm just thinking back for your first two lessons and how. Uh, I love the progression of what you how you've laid this out because if if we don't have personal holiness, then we can't see the sin problem of the world the right way. Mm. And so when we come into contact with other people, we don't see the problem as as seriously as we should. Mm-hmm. And I think coming into that, the urgency of the of the problem that we're all we're all in. Mm. It's really, really important. We have to have personal holiness to do that. Mm. To be walking with the Lord. Yeah. And that is super important. And then this, this step, the second step you were talking about even last week, um, that preparedness, I think that's so important. You're going to fear men if you're not prepared. Mm-hmm. You know? So I just, I like the progression of the thought. And I think sometimes, and this is true for me, even miss personal preparation and taking 
gospel as well. So thank mm. you for the way you laid it out. Thank you, it's brother. It's challenging, and I appreciate it. Thank you, brother. Tim, were you gonna, did you raise your hand? No. No. Okay. Um, Julie, did you want to just add anything? I just knowing going through the Philippian study with the women's, mm. examining myself, and just recognizing the need to daily do that and to repent, because we all could have done that right. in that day. Right. And the grace to, that he brings that to mind mm-hmm. is a gift. Don't allow the evil one to squash that. Mm-hmm. Or you take that, and, you know, that's, that brings glory to him. We see our sin, we hate it because he hates it, and we want to push beyond that and, can, and surround us with other like-minded people. Mm-hmm. Who are going to challenge us to continue on to go share the gospel? And what you're, what you guys are doing, it's very encouraging. Yeah, thank you. That's yeah, absolutely true. Yeah. Um, in First John four eighteen, it says, "There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts casts out fear." And I think um, when we're loving the Lord so much yes. because He first loved us, mm. there's an overflow. Of wanting to share the gospel. Amen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. Okay. Well, that's going to have to wrap us up. Any any final thoughts or things? No. Okay. Well, let's pray and uh, we'll uh, go out to worship uh, in the main service here. <clears throat>